welcome to the Tiny House Ideas podcast. Welcome to episode nine of the Tiny House Ideas podcast. Today I'm joined by minimalist tiny houses in Quebec and we're going to be talking about how he got into the industry of tiny houses, his insights, his his tips and tricks that he's learned on the job and also talking about any requests that he's received from customers, some of his favorite projects and also we'll be discussing how his clients have acclimatized to living tiny and anything that you can expect if you're looking to live tiny in the near future. So keep listening to hear more about JP, about minimalist tiny houses in Quebec and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Tiny House Ideas podcast, the show where we talk about how to live a more fulfilling life with less. My name's Harry Alvarez Garman, and I've got tons of exciting guests lined up for you, including authors, entrepreneurs, and tiny house owners. If you love minimalism, sustainable living, personal development, and everything in between, then you're in the right place. On the show, we'll be talking about how you can do more of what you love, how to turn your passion into a career, and how to live more sustainably. My name is JP uh, Marquis. Uh, I'm co-founder of uh, Minimalist Tiny Houses. Uh, I joined uh, the uh, adventure in 2015 uh, when the founder, uh, Phil, uh, created this project. Uh, uh, he was a friend of mine, so uh, and we, uh, I helped him uh, building the prototype. And then when we came up with the first order, I uh, kind of stepped in. Uh, in, in terms of background, um, I've been uh, in the military for 10 years full-time before joining this, uh, uh, the, the company. Uh, what happens is I wanted to have a challenge that, uh, in which I could put myself into and not to uh, accomplish somebody else's dream. So, um, so yeah, I needed to have something that I could put myself into. So uh, I went back to studying carpentry. And then uh, as soon as I came out of school, um, this project was so, uh, it, it was talking to me. So uh, I wanted to be a part of it and I thought I could be really helpful and I could bring something not only to this company, but the whole uh, tiny house industry. So I was really excited about all that. So, and I'm still, uh, I'm still as passionate today as, as I was in the beginning, actually. Amazing. What a great story. Um, and yeah. obviously sort of from starting from joining the company, um, you obviously have had such a big impact this, this sort of seems to be doing really really well um, and obviously especially in Canada um, the sort of tiny house movement as well is now expanding and you guys have definitely had a part to play in that so it's just amazing to sort of watch watch the business grow even more um, along with you. Yeah exactly and um, yeah and uh, of course uh, I was not um, not that I was not expecting all that but I was not um, an entre- entrepreneur type of guy at first mm. but then uh, when you come to a point where uh, if you want something to be done, you want something to be accomplished and you think you have good ideas, that's pretty much what defines an entrepreneur. And uh, so if you want something, you need to reach for it and you need to set goals and actually work for it as well. Exactly. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. You obviously sort of have had to, sounds like um, adapt and sort of work around everything that has obviously built into, into such a great business now that is sort of helping out so many people as well. That's the thing. Um, Obviously, I saw you can see the pictures on um, the Instagram. There'll be links to all of that in the description below for everyone that's listening. Um, but you guys have got a really, really cool workshop. And um, what's that sort of look like for capacity? How many sort of houses do you work at a time? Is it one or more? Or yeah, we try to overlap two projects at a time uh, right now at the shop because what happens is we when we started, we were doing that uh, at the back of a shop in an industrial um, place in the city. And then that was the prototype. So we knew that um, at some point we needed to find another place where we could build the houses. Then we found that little spot on that island close to Quebec City. Uh, It's a dream place, but unfortunately at the moment it's beginning to be a little small for the 
all the demand we're facing. And so as of now, we have a capacity of like 12 to 14 projects per year, all custom projects. But now we'll, uh, we're at the point where we're looking to expanding the company. But we don't want to um, sacrifice who we are for more orders at all because we're uh, like we're we're people like uh, me and Elise. Uh, we're people that are really thinking about uh, the importance of staying true to who you are, no matter what business you're into. And of course, uh, we'll never sacrifice uh, the customer service or the attention we put into the product we're building, uh, just because we want to have more houses to build. So uh, we want to have uh, a really healthy progression. And uh, so that way we can actually stay true to who we are. Mm, that's something that I really respect, actually, sort of not sort of just aiming and striving for hitting the next figure, hitting the next um, sums and everything like that. It's sort of more important, which I think sets you guys aside from other builders sort of across Canada, the US and everything is the fact that you sort of prioritize the experience you prioritize the quality you prioritize the interaction between you and the customers and that now especially is just so important to sort of have that at the forefront rather than just being money driven which i think is really respectable yeah and i mean it's uh it's quite genuine because there's no like there's no there's not a thinking process behind that it's because i was not a salesperson elise was not a salesperson but now we're selling houses to people and we sell them the way we would want something to be sold to us so if you don't need something we're not going to push somebody towards something they don't need even though it would be nice to have that feature inside the house you don't need that we're not going to recommend that and also uh and we, the same way we work with our clients is the same way we work with our employees not that uh the clients become part of the family but i mean this product is so personal because uh we're not like mass producing tiny houses we're yeah. really building something for somebody and then, uh, and then we transmit this whole um, thinking to our employees so that way they know who they're building the houses for, where the house is going to be delivered, what are the specs, what's the, the history behind the family background, what, what brought them to going tiny as well. So that's something we really like to highlight as well. Yeah, no, that is definitely very important. Um, so you sort of say you have, um, you roughly work on between 12 and 14 projects a year, um, all being custom. What would you say is the sort of main advantage of building the homes custom rather than, like you say, just sort of batch producing and selling hundreds of the same? Well, the advantage, uh, I'll be honest, is not our advantage. It's pretty much the advantage the clients um, will true. benefit for. Um, because uh, when you think of it, when you reduce that full, that foot trim to something that is between, uh, let's say, 250 and 400 uh, square feet, there's no way that one layout will fit everyone. That's impossible. And then even though it's the sixth version of the Magnolia we're building or this, the fifth version of the Neuer, there's always something that somebody uh, wants to change to make it um, like fitting their lifestyle and their reality. Because... Uh, like tiny houses are all about compromises, but not everybody wants to make these compromises at the same place. And the smaller footprint you're working with, then uh, like it's it's not like, uh, you know, these suits that you, you have custom made, like tailor made. Like yeah. even though like let's say you're five feet ten, I'm five feet ten, my suit is not going to fit on you, even though it's kind of the same size, but then you're comfortable in there, but I'm not. And it's pretty much the same thinking behind um, why uh, custom is a good way to, to, to go for a tiny house. And I mean, it's not always full custom, but then if you don't open 
the the possibility to customize like the layout then well it's we kind of lose the interest we have in building these houses as well uh, at some yeah. point if let's say um somebody wants to buy four or five of them for rental purposes then we're gonna of course we're gonna offer a, a good uh clientele service but not we're not gonna go deep into details the same way we are gonna do for someone's gonna be full-time living in a house for example yeah no, exactly. That makes sense. I, I like the analogy you said about the suit, sort of, if it fits me, it wouldn't necessarily fit you. And I think that is really important to remember that each customer, that each family has a different sort of, whether it be a set of hobbies, a set of priorities or things that they need their house tailored for, which I think is, is something to bear in mind, definitely. Um, and sort of going on from that as well, have you had any, um, let's say, strange requests or anything? If someone said, look, I like this model, but can you make this bigger? Can you make this smaller? What's been like a weird or a strange uh, request? Have you had someone ask for loads of storage here or, or anything? Yeah, well, there's, uh, there's a lot actually. And then I think the main, uh, well, the main feature that we didn't expect to include in our houses is everything or anything related to cats, actually. Because I was oh, really? like, yeah, exactly. At first, we, we had somebody that said, like, well, it, it all began with the eucalyptus. Um, the client wanted to have a, a pet door yeah. inside the, the main door. And I was like, yeah, that, that's cool. But then uh, the house was completely uh, finished. And then um, I had the instruction guide, uh, the instruction guide. And then uh, I had to cut a hole inside the brand new exterior door. So there was no going back. And then when you, you have the grinder and then you, you start cutting the, the door, then yeah, like I said, there's no turning back. But then it, it turned out really nice. And then uh, so you know the, the the dog has this little chip. So then he can go outside yeah. and the door opens and all that. And then when somebody saw that, he's like, ah, I want some of that too. So then we we had uh, two or three other clients that wanted to have some cat doors. And then we had a request for a, a catio. So that's kind of weird. <laughs> it was a balcony, but then there was the same pet door. But then there was a small balcony outside. Oh. So yeah, that was that was that, that was something funny. And then uh, also, that's one thing I'll always remember. Um, and that's that's how you know that we get really into people's personal lives. I mean, there was this client; she had a, a gecko. It's a lizard. And then um, his name was Oscar. And it was like four years ago. But then we still remember the name because we had to adapt the loft and make it so it was an easy access to where. Um, actually Oscar was going to be living. So uh, yeah, and it's kind of fun because when you design the house for the people, you really dig deep into their personal life because uh, the more information you know, the, 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 um, the easier it is for us to put ourselves into the client's position and say, well, considering the needs that I have, uh, because some clients, they don't know where to start. And then that's our job as a tiny home builder not to push them towards the direction we want them to go, but then to uh, put yourself in their seat and say, well, considering your pros, your cons, your limitations, the budget, well, you, you might want to include that. That's a must have. Uh, that's not a must have. That's a nice to have, but you'll need to sacrifice that if you want this, that, which I think is more a priority according to what you told us. So yeah, it's, so it's a really, um, it's a collaboration between the client and us because if, we're not, uh, we cannot create something that will fit you if you don't put a little bit of you into this project as well. Exactly. Yeah. Sort of about tailoring, like we said earlier, tailoring the needs of the client to, to you guys. So you've got a good relationship to make the perfect house for them, which is, which is amazing. Um, and I like what you said as well as sort of about all the, um, 
uh, features for cats and everything. That's brilliant. How sort of people are looking to customize it. I can imagine it must have been scary cutting into the door after everything's all finished and you think it's all all nice and you've got to take a saw to the door. It must have been quite intimidating. Yeah, exactly. And then we 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 actually we actually took the the whole concept and then we yeah. pushed it a little further with the you know we have this uh, built-in. Um, cabinet that works for the litter box but then we used you know a 12 volts fan from a, a composting toilet so that way you have sort of the air pushing out uh, and then you avoid any smell inside the house because it's a small footprint so then yeah. that also pushes us to rethink and uh, always come up with new ideas actually yeah I, I like that idea that's a good idea about sort of having the fan there to get rid of any odors or any smells that come with pets because I think that's um, some people that are looking to go tinier or that are looking into downsizing especially are worried about sort of having such a small space with with an animal with a cat or something but knowing that is a really good tip people to take away and sort of think okay that's a good way to to get around the smell yeah um, sorry you go and then um well to sum up the 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 whole thinking behind the way we build our houses of course there's different uh, different builders different markets different types of home different qualities and different prices but then we chose to go in a path where uh, downsizing doesn't mean downgrading. And then this yeah. is pretty much what we say to our clients. And this is the type of clientele we're working with as well. People that going from a, a bigger home to a smaller home. And then they don't want to sacrifice comfort. Of course, these houses are not made with gold. But then they, they want the same type of comfort they were having. And there's a possibility to include that in a small footprint. Of course, you need to think of it but then it's definitely possible. Yeah, definitely. It sort of take, takes a lot of thinking initially to get it all sorted. But um, I like what you say sort of about downsizing, but not downgrading. And I think that's becoming a lot more prominent now um, sort of across the whole tiny house movement is, um, whereas initially it was sort of seen from the outside as, oh, you're moving into a smaller house. There must be um, a reason for that. Why are you looking into doing that? Why are you limiting yourself? But now it's actually seen as more of a way to, explore more to do more to enjoy what you do more to it sort of gives people so many more opportunities which is becoming so much more popular which is really really good as well yeah you got it right i mean uh because of course it's it's fine like some people they want to go tiny because they 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 want to pay less that that's that's completely fine but then what i think uh is the the real thinking behind going tiny is if you're doing that for as something else than for financing reason, then I think it's even better because you're doing that not for the right reason, but you're doing that because you know that reducing your footprint is not only good because you're going to have less um, floor space to maintain and to, uh, to clean and all that, but then you reduce your, your footprint. So you reduce whatever uh, carbon emissions you're making. And also yeah. you, uh, you actually uh, focus on what's important inside the house and not only the size of the house you're living into. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so going back to sort of um, when you guys send out the house, 12 to 14 a year, what has been the favorite one that you've sort of, is there any that you've sort of really, really um, liked more than any others that it's been difficult to say goodbye to when it sort of gets collected or gets delivered? Yeah, uh, I mean, um, we, we build these houses and of course it's not a model home. So we all have like all, everybody on the team, we all have personal opinions about the house we're building, of course. Uh, but then I will, I will stay aside from the, the design and the look because I think all of our houses have something similar and I think they all look kind of nice. Yeah. But then I'm not going to base that, that comment on the prettiest house we've designed, but 
the house that uh, for me is uh, is the most memorable house would be the Laurier, which is the house one of the first houses we designed. And then uh, um, because we we said at first we we're like we need to do stuff that nobody ever did if we want to distinguish ourselves. So then this lady came up and it, she was like uh, 50 or 55. So uh, she was not like a young couple that wanted a ladder. So she wanted comfort yeah. and she, she was, um, she had this special condition where at some point of the day she needed to, to rest in her bed. So she needed to have access to all of her switch and close everything inside her house mm. when she was laying in bed. But then um, she was, she needed to be off grid, but she wanted that heating floor. So then it was the first time we were doing an off grid project. And then she uh, she came up with the, the whole Radiant Force system in there. And we're like, okay, well, are we like saying yes to a project we're not, we're not going to be able to achieve? But then uh, we're like, yeah, let's just step up our game. This is definitely something possible because this product, this product, and this product, they all exist. But then nobody, nobody took the time to combine them together inside a small uh, product, which is uh, one of our tiny homes. But then we had this uh, Radiant Floor that was running on propane to heat up the glycol and then we had uh, a full two kilowatt um electrical uh, off-grid system with the yeah. with the 12 volts and all that and then the house was fully equipped with the main floor bedroom so we achieved that into a, a 30 foot um long house so everything wow. was in there uh fully equipped off-grid so she needs to, she just needed the the plug because that's yeah. something to consider as well when we talk to our clients water is pretty much the only thing that you cannot create when it yeah. comes to living off grid. And then yeah. no matter what size of tank we include, um, you'll need to fill it up at some point. So we really think that unless you want to be mobile a lot, like built in tanks, I mean, they, they take up space in the house that you could definitely use for something else, especially when you're working in a smaller footprint. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And um, God, it definitely sounds like a challenge doing the house with sort of the underfloor heating, off-grid and everything as well, trying to juggle so many balls at once. But obviously, um, would have been a learning curve for you guys. And now it's sort of opened up, I can imagine, um, more possibilities and more opportunities for you to sort of explore stuff like that further in the future, which is, which is good. Yeah, and ultimately, we're doing like um, research and development, but we don't want the client to pay for that. So when we charge the price, we not, we're not charging the extra time we put like thinking of how is it going to fit in there or how are we going to do this and do that because yeah. that's not up to the client to pay. If we want to step up our game and come up with new ideas, then we're going to say, yes, we're able to do that. But then if it takes twice the time, that's up to us to handle that and find a way for the next house where we, we know exactly how many, how much time it's going to take. But then that's, yeah. that's part of the business game, I think. And yeah. if you don't step out of your comfort zone, then nothing's good. Not, nothing's good is going to happen at all. So exactly, yeah. the only way you grow is sort of by getting out there, by trying new things. So that is, that's really respectable. Um, earlier on, you mentioned briefly your team as well. Would you mind just giving me a brief rundown on sort of who you have working with you and builders, design, anything like that? Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, like I was talking about Phil earlier, unfortunately last spring, uh, Phil, he left for, uh, uh, for his own project, uh, probably woodworking or, or something related to traveling and, and video and stuff like that. So now it's just me and Elise. But uh, we're quite motivated. So me and Elise are running the business together. But we're, like I said, if it's, it's not for the carpenters, uh, we're not creating anything. So the whole team, we're uh, nine people right now. And um, so, and we work with uh, contractors 
for electricity, plumbing, and, uh, and propane. So we leave it up to the specialists to do the parts where we think uh, it's important for in terms of security. Uh, even though we're not required to do that, I think it's the right way to, uh, to the right path to follow. So uh, the whole dynamic inside the shop, like I said, we're, we're a big family. So it's a, it's a really open table if there's anything. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's different than a typical work site because I uh, I've been working on different work sites before uh, and I was doing some home renovation as well, um, part-time. So I know how it how it's like on work sites and I, that when you know how it is on work sites, you know exactly what type of mood or uh, uh, you, you don't want to create inside your shop. So we have the availability right now as a, a company to create whatever uh, mood we want inside the shop. So the dynamic is great. Uh, the whole team is really motivated because they take pride into what they do. They do projects from A to Z and they, they have projects that are going to be delivered like 5,000 kilometers away. So it's really wow. thrilling. And it's really, um, I think for them, like I said, they take great pride in that and we make it so they, they know exactly what our mission or vision is. So that way they can share that and be part of the, the, the whole thing that we're creating. So we want to push that as far as we can go. Um, and we want everybody to jump in the bandwagon and be a part of that. Brilliant. Oh, it sounds like such a great, really nice community, nice family that you guys have got going on there. So that, that's amazing. Um, and you mentioned sort of how the, um, the carpenters especially sort of take the project from A to Z. What would like a typical project look like from the initial client coming to you and sort of asking, asking about it to the delivery? What would the sort of timeline and things like that, how would that look? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a, uh, a nice question. And uh, actually there's, there's different, um, because I, I'm not going to say, this is exactly how it works because some clients, they come to us and they don't know anything. They don't know what they want. They expect us to, to tell us that's exactly what you want based on their needs and other people's uh, other people. They've been um, working on their floor plan for like four years and watching all of our videos. And they come up with like 20 pages of a document of 20 pages. So it's like, okay, you sure know what you want. So that makes it so yeah. the, the process is, a little faster, but then I'm going to go ahead and just describe the whole, uh, a typical right. process. Like, um, every, everything comes from uh, our website pretty much because that's where it all starts. So we have the people that contact us. So we normally, they know they have a budget, they're interested, they know the size of the home. Uh, and they, sometimes they're interested into two or three models, but then, uh, we kind of narrow, uh, they're based on their needs and the questions we ask uh, in the, the initial phone calls that we have. So we narrow it to a size of home and some specifications because there's different ways of creating a layout. But then uh, if you want a main floor bedroom, then of course the size will be bigger. And then we'll need to work around that, that big thing that sits and requires a lot of space. But then if you, you're open to living in a loft, then that's different. But then we kind of narrow um, their choices and everything to either modifying a design we've already created or going from scratch and going the custom route. So the custom route is a really separate process because at some point when we draw the house and everything, we, we come up with a quote and somebody might say, well, I'm just gonna put that on hold and come back in two years. But then he, he still has his floor plan, so that's the custom design. And then if you're modifying um, an existing design, then we could put your, uh, we provide a quote based on what you want. And uh, we all, we know how many, how much time is going to require to make these modifications to the original drawings. 
And then after that, we secure the replace on the construction calendar with the deposit. And then when time comes, um, well, we order the trailer and then we start the, the house and the, the construction will take between four to six weeks. But then if we overlap project, uh, like let's say the whole project is going to take four weeks of um, like, let's say hammering and then cutting and all that. But then the whole process will be spread uh, around two months. So that way we have plenty of time to test the equipment uh, and make the videos and the pictures because we, uh, we like to do that. We think it's important, uh, even though it's custom projects, we want to present people with um, ideas that other clients had so they can inspire and put, uh, and put some of these ideas into their concept. And then we didn't realize that with the first design because it was like, okay, this design. So we had four and five. And then after that, what happened is somebody wanted a little bit of this, a little bit of that and combining it together. So then all these branches starting to spread. So nowadays, like, like the clients really help us to offer different options because we, we, uh, we needed to, um, to dig deeper and to come up with new ideas. But then once the idea is installed in one house, then somebody can say, well, I want, I want some of that in my house too. Exactly. So then, like I said, the clients help us build pretty much who we are as a company. And I think the, the family thing behind that is like everybody's involved into uh, our progress, like the employees and also the clients ultimately. Yeah, definitely. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. It's really, really interesting to hear um, how, it, how it starts out, obviously, with the initial contact from the client to, to, to the final product. It sounds, sounds amazing. Um, so another question I had for you is, what is the tiniest tiny house that you, have, you, you guys have built? The smallest? Um, yeah. Well, actually, that, that's funny you're talking about it because we had, uh, like two years ago, uh, I really wanted uh, for the company to be able to offer, like, because mobility, I, I don't, well, that's something like, we don't think mobility, like if you want to go like travel on weekends and go uh, and travel North America, yeah, I don't think that's a tiny home that you need. I think it's an RV. So uh, we wanted to have like a, a real four season RV for colder climates, because let's say you're, you're in Southern USA, there's no way you need a tiny house to travel. Actually, that's the worst yeah. thing because it's not, it's it's meant to to be on the road but you don't have the same features and in, in the, the the same weight as a regular house if it's properly equipped and properly insulated and and well constructed um you're going to be spending a lot of gas so we wanted to come up with a lightweight four season uh, rv but then we ordered the trailer because we had a deal on a small trailer and then we put up a shell on it yeah. But I mean, it's been two years and that shell is still sitting in the back of our <laughs> shop. <laughs> yeah. So that's funny. So uh, that's the smallest shell we create. That's eight by 12. But then the, the, okay. the first prototype we created was eight by 20. It was the Sequoia. And um, we never built another one since. Um, but then, uh, yeah, because we're specialized nowadays in, in a little like wider models for uh, yeah. full-time living, but then they can still be moved like for, thousands of miles but then uh yeah so the smallest one would be the sequoia eight by 20 um it was quite compact but there's always a way to work around that small footprint i'm telling you yeah definitely yeah definitely mm -hmm. and, and it's interesting how you say um the sort of for traveling whilst tiny houses are able to sort of get from a to b um i think i sort of agree with you on the point that um 
the main journey should be from um, the workshop to the client. And if, if they're looking to travel, it's probably not the best option because everything is sort of laid out as, as you would have in a conventional house. And it's sort of suited to, to full-time living rather than um, in an RV where everything locks, clicks down and fits away um, easy to drive. So I think I agree with you on the point that a tiny house is sort of, yeah, best transported once and then full-time living makes more sense. Yeah, and there's always a, a way to be relocated afterwards because, uh, yeah. uh, I mean, different per like our houses can serve different purposes. Sometimes it's a primary residence, sometimes it's a secondary dwelling. Sometimes yeah. people will put that on the land where they're going to be building a house in the future, but they want to be able to use that land as a secondary dwelling, for instance, yeah. uh, for summer. But then also, what 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 we consider as well is where the house will be located then when we know the exact location, then we can uh, orient the windows and, and everything according yeah, to exactly. the site where the home will be installed. So if you rely on that and then you move the house, well, you're not going to be facing the same, um, the same type of layout that is ultimately designed so that way you can have like a passive house because you're facing south and then you have tons of windows. And then so in the winter, you kind of save and you almost spend no money on heating. So that's a way to, to do that. But then um, we have a lot of clients also that will set up their houses as uh, ADUs, which is accessory dwelling units, uh, because I, I know how I would say I'll understand a scenario is uh, in your in your area. But here we have a lot of aging people, and uh, at some point people they were converting, let's say, their basement into a place where their family could live, like the the, the parents could live. But then it was sort of I don't know if that's the proper term, but then. Uh, it's kind of intrusive in a way that, I mean, you're living with your parents now. I mean, they're part of, of course, they're in the basement, but then the privacy is kind of gone. Uh, so having a tiny house right beside the house, I think is a more clever way because you're not going to be modifying the house. Uh, and then here, the, the regulations makes it so if you convert the basement for, it's for family, but afterwards you cannot say, well, now it's an apartment because the area where you're located is not allowed to have like, um, let's say a, a plex or an apartment. So that way you're stuck with that and you invested in modifying your house. So we think having a tiny house in the backyard is way more clever because uh, at some point when the parents are not there anymore, you can either sell the house, use it as a, a secondary dwelling or as a cottage, or you can actually sell it to somebody that lives, like, like I said, as far away as the, the road can go. So I yeah. think that's another clever way to, uh, and, and um, well, uh, I have something to say about the whole housing market, but I'm just going to leave it up to you. This. Yeah. 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 So um, sort of um, with the ADUs and everything, I agree with you in the fact that um, lots of people are sort of looking at ways to have a granny flat or to have family live with them. Um, but it, it's nice to have um, separation between the two, because if, um, your family, your parents are in the basement, for example, then they might still be sharing your kitchen, they might still be sharing your bathroom, whereas if they've got their own kitchen, their own bathroom, their own bedroom, and it's their own sort of unit, then you're still close enough that it works well on that level, on the safety and on the communication community level. But then it's also nice because you have that separation, you don't feel like you're on top of each other all the time. So it is, like you say, a perfect option for those um, that are looking for it. And obviously with the coding, with the laws as well, it makes so much more sense if you're investing in it anyway, you can invest in an asset that then you can, like you say, sell on in the future that you can rent out for uh, holiday rental, long-term rental. So it is a good investment opportunity as well for those that are looking for sort of a granny flat ADU alternative. 
Yeah, exactly. Because you don't lose the proximity, but then um, exactly. it's not like you're, you're, let's say you're renting your basement to somebody. If you, if you're not going along with that guy and all that, you can say, well, we might as well end that. But then we, you change everything. Yeah. You, you have your parents coming in and they leave their whatever residence they're living into or their house. There's no turning back. So if yeah. at some point you're like, well, I thought it was going to be easy to live with my parents and it's not. So what, what do I do now? So yeah. we really think that uh, the granny flats or ADUs are also another good use for tiny homes. And then, um, and then we have clients that come to us and they're asking about the resale value and all that of tiny homes. And I think the, the market is way too young to say what's the resale value of a tiny house. Of course, the, the more durable you build them, in theory, the more you have the resale value of, yeah. or, or, or of course, you, you don't have the, the value decreasing because normally the, what takes value is the house on a property because it's sitting yeah. there and then it, it, it grows and it takes value with the time. But then yeah. one thing to consider about that is if you're like, we, have a, we had a client, actually, she was in Saskatchewan. That's a province we have in Canada. And then she had a job offer in New Zealand. So she needed to sell her home within a month. And then wow. depending on where you're located, Putting your house on the market, if you're in a small village, even though you have the most, the most gorgeous house ever, if nobody wants to live there, you're not exactly. going to sell your home. So having exactly. the wheels on the home made it so she was able to sell her house quite quick to somebody that was really far away from her. So that's always something to consider. Uh, there's not only the resale value of the house, but then the whole housing market. What does it look like in your area? Because having to sell fast, yeah. Sometimes you, if you have the house on wheels and then you open up the market, we have uh, here in Canada, the houses we produce, we have both uh, Canadian and U.S. VINs. So okay. if you want to sell that house, you can sell it to somebody in another country. So that's yeah. one advantage to take into consideration as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting that you bring that up because um, so much there's so much link um, between the housing market, house prices. Um, to the area that you're in and if you're sort of if you're in a conventional house that is in the location it's in um, then obviously the, the market value of that house depends so much on what's going on in the area and whether the area is doing well if it's uh, the economy is going up but then like you say if the house is on wheels and it's got the flexibility to be moved as long as the road is then it's you're, you're buying the house you're not buying the location and that sort of makes it a lot more sustainable in future as well because you you sort of yeah look for the house rather than the location which works more for people yeah yeah exactly so I'm pretty sure the situation is kind of similar uh, everywhere, actually. So if you're telling me you're yeah. facing the same situation, it's, it's the same pretty much everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, like we say, the market's really young now. So we're sort of still, I guess, time will tell um, about the resale values, about um, the return on investment for people that are looking at it from an investment standpoint. Um, but definitely, I, I sort of feel quite strongly that it will, hold, uh, tiny houses will hold their value, um, that it is sort of, I think the more popular it becomes, the more people that are sort of looking to do it, it will just bring so many more people to, to the market for, for a second hand, definitely. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, if you compare that to, let's say, the car market, that's, that's what we tell people. Uh, we're like, because of course, um, our houses are more pricey than some houses on the market. And we, and well, there's nothing we can do about it. That's how they're priced. And they're priced based on the materials we're using. Then when I, when I tell that to people, I'm like, well, how come can you have a, a, a car that can welcome four people and you're going to pay $20,000? And then you have the same car that can welcome four people, but then you're paying $80,000 for that. So 
what are we looking at? Oh yeah, so oh yeah, but it's a different quality, it's a different mortar. Yeah, so that's the exact same thing with the tiny house. You're, you cannot judge a tiny house and the price based on what you see because what you yeah. see is not what's pricey on a house. Of course, uh, the exterior siding and all that, that's, that's part of the cost. But then what's in between the walls and what type of materials they're using to insulate and wrap yeah. and uh, make the windows airtight and all that, that's where the money goes pretty much. And then uh, yeah. so you invest in something that works and that is actually more performant than regular houses, of course, it's going to be more costly. But then that's all reality. And it took us a little while not to assume the prices. But then I was like, we're making the count and we're not making like money on the back of anyone. I mean, we're, we, we think our prices are, are accurate. And then we're like, yeah, that's, that's pricey. But then we had a client that it was, it was in the housing industry and he saw the whole specification we're using. He's like, your houses are far from being too expensive. You just need to find a way to explain to people what's in between the walls and how you build these houses. And then yeah. we started to do that. And then that's when you build trust with clients. So they trust the product that you're, they don't only think it's pretty, they think it's suitable and it's durable. So that's what we think is our main focus also as a tiny house company. Yeah, definitely. And it's sort of obviously very important for you guys to break down the cost and to look at that because the main thing that sort of sets so many different builds apart is the quality because there's so many that will happily um, sort of sell a house for, for a certain price, but not sort of put the time and effort into the small details like the house wrap, like the insulation, like um, the type of wiring and stuff they use. And it's sort of, it makes so much more sense to go with quality like you guys initially and to make the initial investment once. And that sort of saves, it saves money, it saves time in the long term, because if you sort of, if you cut corners, if you skip things initially, then in three or four years, you'll have to go back and replace stuff, you'll have to go back and fix things. So that's why, like I say, it makes more sense to, to invest properly once and then you'll, you can sort of rest assured that everything will be, everything will be okay in the future. Yeah. And then, uh, because we didn't ask a lot of questions when we started doing these houses, but we have a way of building in Quebec that makes it so we are facing uh, two extreme opposite weathers. So we have hot and humid, we have cold and humid, we have hot and, and dry, cold and dry. So the houses, they need to be able to resist and to breathe actually. So um, you really need something airtight, but you need to have a way to have some air exchanging inside that house. So uh, air exchanging should never be an option in a tiny house. It should be part of it, just like the windows. I mean, if you're not having a house that is properly ventilated, that's when you're talking about mold, you're talking about uh, condensation in the walls, but these problems, they will take four to five years to appear. And then, yeah, exactly. uh, and then when you realize that, it's not because you're, you're gonna see mold in the corner of the wall, you're gonna start coughing, you're gonna, you're gonna get sick, and then you're gonna ask questions. And it might take like one year or two years before you f figure out that behind your, your, uh, your inside uh, interior finish, that that's where the problem is, but it takes a while. But then after that, it's, it's four years after that, the warranty is gone. And, and then right. you end up having to deal with that trouble yourselves. So we want to offer peace of mind in terms of, uh, of the durability of the product. And so we apply the same uh, building code. It, the, well, the same building code in terms of uh, insulation and uh, energy efficiency that we have here in the, in Quebec and we put that into tiny houses because we thought that was one thing that was lacking in the tiny house industry because we saw the whole building process of some builders and we're not here to to uh to to talk about the other builders but then we saw things that we thought 
that we're going to be causing some problems on the long term. So when people come to our shop, we, we tell them we, we have always have a shell or a house under construction and we take the time. If I have to take one hour for the client to understand the whole idea behind the way we build our houses, then I'm going to yeah. take it because even though he's not going to end up buying a house, then he knows what's the difference and what he should be looking for when he's going to go see another builder ultimately. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and like you say, that's why it is so important to, to focus on those things initially because it will save so many problems in the long term. And, and with sort of so many more people now looking at this as an option, it, it just is so important to have it sustainable for the long term. Yeah, exactly. And people don't always know all of that and we don't expect these clients to know all of that but that's our role that's our uh, our duty as a tiny house builder to tell them what they need to understand about our product because of course when you look at instagram oh this house is it's so cute it, i like the design and all that and we agree it's part of the it's part of what uh, what we are as a company but then there's much more than that and that's really the important part of the the construction we were creating so yeah, yeah, it's it's important for the clients to understand that. And then like if you think of it, um like having a shelter or like housing is one of the it's one of the essential need that we have and that's one of the needs that we don't know like anything about it when you think of it. I mean, because you you don't have the 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 technical stuff, you don't have the the you don't have any um actually uh literacy you don't have any books you don't know how it works and you expect to put trust into somebody is like well he should be building something that will be suitable that should be as per code but then in reality it's a totally different thing you end up like when people are building like tons of apartments they don't build it they build it so they cut the corner short and they make it so time is of essence and let's go yeah. let's do this but then when we build it we build it for this particular family. So when you know who you're going to be building it for, then you put a lot of more uh, effort and thinking before cutting, cutting, the, cutting the corners round. We don't do that. If there is a little hole inside the, the house wrap, then you're going to tape it because if it was your house, you would have taped it, right? Yeah, so we apply the same thinking. Yeah, definitely. I like that sort of the mindset. Would I be happy with this if it was my house is, is just, brilliant from you guys and I think that sort of does does like we say earlier really set you aside mm -hmm. um, so another thing that I was sort of going to ask about the um and uh, the build process this is sort of going back to when we were speaking about how um some customers are asked for a downstairs bedroom some have asked for a, a loft bedroom and um, what would you sort of say how how many more people go for a loft than a than a downstairs bedroom is there sort of like a percentage would you say of who chooses what I think it would be more of a profile than uh, a percentage because uh, I mean, when we when we uh, released the first house we had with the main floor bedroom, of course, the clientele that came to us, uh, it was more like aging people. Of course, yeah. not aging like they're not ninety, but then there are people that are retiring or they're planning to retire, and that's going to be their last home. So yeah. of course. There was a lady, she's like, well, I'm going to be fine with the loft and that, yeah, well, you don't seem convinced at all. So, yeah, we, so yeah exactly. Because yeah. if you think that you're going to be uh, aging and you're going to like spend a lot of time and ultimately uh, finish your days in the tiny house, 
then the main four bedroom, I think, is the key because you never know what's going to happen. And then climbing upstairs or ladders, uh, that's fine when you're at certain age. But then at some point, um, it's it's fun as an experience for a weekend to climb up a ladder and you go to a loft. Yeah. But when you think you're going to be full-time living each Every night, night, if you have to pee when you're you're sleeping, then you need mm -hmm. to get up and go through a ladder. And then yeah. if you're sick, you don't want to do that. And then, of course, like let's say you, you had a little party that can also be dangerous to go down a ladder. So uh, we're big fans of uh, including stairs. And nowadays, I don't. It's been a while since we designed a tiny house with lofts that only has a ladder. So the main uh, the main loft will be um, accessible through a storage staircase. And you don't sacrifice space when you're using a staircase the way we build them. Actually, you have more storage. So there's yeah. always a way to use that space. And then you have the comfort and the security that um, uh, a staircase brings. And then, if, and, uh, and then you have the, if you have the ladder, we make it really comfortable, a little bit larger. We don't have a 90 degrees uh, ladder. We always have like 20 degrees. So that way you can almost climb up like without using your hand. So that way it's really comfortable and it's safe. Um, so, and normally it's going to be for guests or for storage, but then the main loft will be accessible with a storage sta staircase. And then if not, we're going to offer the main floor bedroom option. And it's yeah. kind of hard to make a more open concept with a main floor bedroom because the way it's designed, you need to have that bedroom in the bottom and then uh, sort of the bathroom in the middle. You can tweak the design a little bit, but then it, it's all a matter of what you're going to be doing with the house. If you're doing like part-time and it's going to be a, a place where you go in summer or on weekends, then I would prefer to have lofts and maximize the open maximize. space in between. But then if you're doing full-time living, uh, even though I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm 32, I would still go with a main floor bedroom because no matter what, uh, I think it's a matter of comfort and personal choice ultimately. Yeah. But then the comfort is there. And then also you can maximize storage uh, in a main floor bedroom in a way that you can not do it in a, a loft bedroom as well. When it comes to yeah. storing your stuff, uh, when you have a main floor bedroom, you can use the bed. You can have some closets uh, on each side of the bed and then some, yeah. some uh, cabinets on top. You can pack a lot of storage in there. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Mm -hmm. um, another question that I wanted to ask you is sort of um, on the lines of everything that we've been going through so far in 2020 with obviously COVID and everything that's happened. Have you sort of noticed, have more people come to you that are looking for tiny houses as an option now that they've sort of had lockdown? Have, have more people sort of been drawn to the, to the tiny house movement, would you say, over the coronavirus period? Now, that's a nice question. Um, as a company, except for the fact that we had to uh, push some projects to the right for two months because we had to close uh, the business. Uh, yeah. We were not really affected by that. And then I think it's a matter of time before people realize the benefits of the tiny houses when another thing like that will, will hit us. Uh, and especially we're talking about granny flats here. One of the biggest problems we're facing is aging people uh, in their residence uh, that was the, the worst thing that was happening in the whole province and the whole country. It was exactly in these areas. And even though these people were paying four to $5,000 for really expensive places, then the COVID doesn't give a, uh, it, it, the, the COVID doesn't care how much yeah. money you pay monthly. It's going to hit you. 
So yeah. if if these people could have been living in smaller communities with with a nurse or let's say as a granny flat in the back of a property, um, then the the more insulated or spread these people are, you don't have that gathering, so you don't have the whole virus spreading and all that. So I think that's something uh, that's part of our duty as well to tell people, hey, did you think of that? Did you think how can the tiny houses can help not only um, the the young people that want to be uh, be able to afford a house, but then these aging people that still want to have an in-between of the big house and the residence, then there's the tiny house. And also there could have, there could have, we could have avoided a couple of, uh, of cases. Of course, not all of that. It's not a vaccine. It's not a, but yeah. I mean, it's part of the solution. It's definitely not part of the problem. Yeah. Um, and I, my, my own personal prediction, I'd say, um, since everyone's sort of been in lockdown of whatever shape or form that's been in for different people. Um, and we've sort of, some people have not been at work. Some people have sort of had more time to focus on themselves, to look at things that they want to do and how they want to live their lives. I think personally, I can see, um, tiny house movement growing as a result of that. I think people are going to think, um, I survived for three months, um, without this, without that, maybe I don't actually need that. Maybe I could actually live in a smaller house. Maybe I should cut down my hours at work, live in a smaller house and use my extra time to explore, to go on hikes, to, to do this sort of stuff. So yeah, I, I think that um, coronavirus will sort of lead to an increase in the tiny house movement as more people are sort of starting to see that um, rather than waiting to retirement until they look to do what they want and find fulfillment, people are sort of looking for that now and living life and enjoying it which you can obviously do so much more and have more freedom in a tiny house. Yeah, I totally agree. And then the same way people, they needed to find solutions to occupy themselves. So they needed to be creative uh, with the space they had because they could not go to the park and all that. So need, they needed to do everything, but within the same footprint and the same space that they have inside their house. So we have the same thinking process when we design a house. So yeah let's say I'm going to be losing 400 square feet in my house. How am I going to manage to do this? Well, you yeah. need to think and you need to find solutions. And then, like you said, the COVID brought all that people had time to think. So they were, some people, they, they found a new hobby. They said they started uh, writing, they started painting. So I think yeah. that brought up, like, if we focus on the negativity that it brought, that's not, that's going to, that's not going to help anything. But then if you focus on what, what good it brought because there is of course there is because there there's always a, a good thing that comes up with situations like that and then you, if you stand up and you you end up stronger or uh, or better than you were before then you take that and you use it as an experience as a whole society and say let's move forward uh and and i think you you got it right people um they had to uh to actually use this time to, and make it so it's worth uh well make a good use of that time they had spent home yeah, so exactly and it's it teaches people as well to be resourceful so for example when they can't get to the shops when they can't get to the supermarket to buy um this new gadget or this new thing it sort of teaches people as well maybe you don't need that maybe you can do that with something you already have and that again links to the downsizing movement to tiny houses you can have one product one thing that can do what in a conventional house, some people might have three or four things that would do that same thing. So it's, it's all about resourcefulness and it's all about people learning that they can do the same 
whilst reducing their footprint, whilst spending less, whilst spending less time. Yeah, definitely. I, I, to be honest, I didn't see it that way. But now that you're explaining that, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that is sort of something people are going to start seeing now as well. I'm just going to give a quick mention to Tiny House Ideas. So Tiny House Ideas is my business, it's my company. It's been what I've been working on for the last five years in the long term. And especially over lockdown, over the last year or so, I've really put some time, energy and effort into building this business. So Tiny House Ideas obviously started with an Instagram page and it has grown and developed into the business that it is today. It's the perfect free platform for anyone interested in the Tiny House movement, in the Tiny House community. First of all, all of the, all of the images that I feature on Instagram, you can find out more information you can get a full fact file over on the website as well as that there's a really cool tool called find me a builder where for free I will personally pair a few tiny house builders with you based on your requirements and that will save you going through hours and hours of searching through Google results take the stress out of it for you really and obviously it's no obligation I'll send you a few recommendations and it's up to you what you do with them another section of the website is the approved builders section so I've been working with a few tiny house builders that I really stand behind that I see the value in their work so there's there's a profile there to sort of tell you more about them and so you can contact them directly if you've got any jobs that you're interested in and finally on the website there's a section for tiny house vacations so if you guys are looking to go away and to try the tiny house movement to try the tiny house living um, but don't know if you want to commit to it if you don't want to live there just yet then a vacation is a really really great way to sort of get acclimatized to learn more about it and you can do that by clicking on the vacations tab of the tiny house ideas website and learning more and searching through some amazing holiday homes um, and i also wanted to ask um, you mentioned briefly that you guys had to close down um, for a few for two months i think you said and sort of push some projects to the side how did the whole situation in 2020 how has that affected you as a business if you don't mind me asking um well i think we have the advantage of uh working with uh, a really comprehensive and and uh and genuine and authentic clientele uh and i think you kind of attract the people not that you want but then uh we get along pretty well with most of our clients and i think there's a reason behind that um and also what happens is uh these people were facing uh also the the pandemic so uh they knew that it was not because we didn't do our uh, our work or or diligent. So it, it was like that, and people were really comprehensive. And nobody said, "Well, if I'm not gonna have that house, uh, let's just not do it because I want that specific time frame to be." So they were they were all comprehensive, and uh, we had to postpone some projects. Of course, we had clients that wanted to have a project by fall, and they said, "Like, well, if it's not gonna be by fall, I'm just gonna postpone it and do it." Uh, next year because we were on a, we want to spend Christmas there and if it's not to spend Christmas this year then we might as well postpone in a year but besides that um, everybody was really comprehensive and uh, we had like I said we have the chance to, to deal with uh, really nice people and uh, yes. and of course the, the the type of clientele that we work with that's something that I didn't uh, well I was not in sales before so I was not aware of like the different types of clients you can deal with and all that but then when you put something forward like uh, a vision uh, as a company some, some some values and all that i think you attract the people that they share the same vision and the same uh, thinking as you so i yeah. think that's part of uh something that really helped us uh go through that whole process because of course a, a, like every and now when everything started it was kind of hard to have all the suppliers and all the materials because everybody wanted to all at once so it was kind of like the delays were longer and all that. But we try to stay on top of our game and we, we keep our clients in the loop. I think communication is the key. 
because Definitely. you can be comprehensive, but then if you come up at the last minute, that's one bad way to treat a client. So if you keep them in the loop, uh, if, if one day I'm a client, like, uh, well, I'm a client of many things. And if I'm, I'm aware of the situation you're facing, I might be more comprehensive than you just say, well, forget about your project in four weeks is going to be eight weeks and you don't have any explanation. So yeah, it's all a matter of how it's brought up to the client. And also, uh, can you do something about that scenario or if it's out of your control, then uh, we, we don't want to deal with people that cannot understand that we had to face some delays in production because of the COVID because uh, well, if I, if the client doesn't understand that, well, that's kind of weird because you had yeah. to face that situation. So you know that others might have faced that. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that it sort of hasn't hit you guys too hard. And it is, um, that's another reason why sort of having um, such a good relationship with your clients, with your customers is so important because it's, it's great that they sort of have been able to, obviously everyone's been going through the same thing. Everyone's in the same boat. Um, so it's good that you've sort of been able to, to just put things on hold rather than cancel too many jobs as well, which is um, So I asked you earlier on the tiniest that you've built, um, and now I'm going to sort of go on and say, what is the, the biggest tiny home that you've built? What's the, the biggest tiny house that you sold? Uh, we, we had a really, um, uh, well, it's, it's a huge project. It was, uh, it was our biggest, biggest project. The, the house is called, it's called The Charm. The house is 10 and a half by 38 and a half. But then in dimensions, we, we did that before with one of the Magnolias. But then the yeah. difference is we had to fit a family of four in there. So, uh, so yeah, we had to be really creative because uh, being four people for a weekend is not the same as being four people for full-time living. Of course, these people were not doing full-time living at first, but that's mm-hmm. their plan in a couple of years to retire and go live in that house. So... Uh, and then these two kids, um, the clients didn't want any compromises on uh, on safety. So we had uh, a double flight staircase. We had a main floor bedroom. There was two lofts, one main floor bedroom, one living area that was acting also as the dining area. And then the kitchen was fully equipped. So everything was in there, the shower, the, the vanity, the flushing toilet. And then there was a mechanical room that was fitting uh, hydronic radiant floor and a really complex um, filtration system for the water. So that's, yeah. th- that was a project that was like, er- it was everything inside a really small footprint. And we brought that house to a home show. Uh, and, and it was nice. People were really impressed about that because like the market is quite, is kind of new here. So, and okay. people, they have a, they see tiny homes on, uh, on HGTV. They see them in, in shows on, on televisions and, yeah it's not always the same size and people they're like, well, I, I'm going to feel boxed inside that. But then people were like, wow, it's so breathy. It's so, it's so uh, open and uh, it really feels like a home, a small home. And that's the feeling we want to create, even though uh, it's a small footprint, we want to create the feeling of a real home. So that project, I must admit that I think it was our most, uh, uh, it was a, our, our biggest projects, not only in terms of size, but in terms of complexity and, of course, of weight. It was a really uh, heavy house, but then uh, the trailer was meant to to support that. But yeah, the charm probably is one of our biggest projects so far. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, well, it's it's good to hear that sort of obviously at the um, the show as well, it's gone down well with people. What tricks do you use to sort of make the space feel bigger than it is? Because obviously, although that is a big tiny house footprint, um, what are the sort of main tricks you use to to give the illusion of there being more space than there is? Mm -hmm. Well, first, I think uh, that everything related to either working or eating should be either collapsible, foldable, or movable. So that way you can, like, there's no way you're going to be able to build a tiny house if you are sticking to, all right, I'm going to eat there, I'm going to sleep there, I'm going to watch TV there. I mean, you need to have these multi-purpose areas and you need to find a smart way to make it so it doesn't take half an hour to convert your living room into a dining area. So that when, that's when, you know, IKEA, uh, IKEA comes really handy at some point because, I mean, we're, we specialize in the, the floor plan and, and, and how we lay out the house and everything, but we didn't invent a, a sliding mechanism to pull out from a drawer that becomes a table, but then this guy, we're going to include that in one of our designs. And the same goes for the, the couch that converts it to a, a bed or the couch that converts into a... Um, a love seat or, or stuff like that. I mean, every, every good idea combined together is what creates um, a really efficient tiny house. So we don't pretend to be inventing this and that, but then when you take genius ideas and bring them all together in a small footprint, that's when you have something that is ultimately uh, really functional. So, uh, yeah. and that plus the, the, I think the color scheme really makes a difference in the feeling of the house. Um, mm -hmm. Because, um, of course, we, uh, we have sort of a typical canvas that we work with. Of course, it's custom, but then people, there's some stuff that they, want, they don't want to modify on our houses because that's what makes our houses houses that they like. So, yeah. you know, we have the white walls, we have the stained ceiling, and then all the wood accent makes it so the house is not completely white unless you want to go full white. But then you have something that is kind of cozy. But then the white makes it brighter. And then when the client receives the house, we leave it up to the clients to put their personal touch inside the house and make the house uh, live, actually. So you, they put so their personality inside the house and ultimately our canvas plus the client's um, ideas for decoration. That's what is bringing the house to life, ultimately. Yeah, definitely. I think what you said about the color scheme as well is really important. Having light and airy colors makes it feel bigger. I can imagine natural light as well would play quite a big part depending on where the house is located. Um, and as well, obviously, like you say, having, I think, multifunctional adaptable furniture is, is such a big thing that oftentimes people do overlook because they think um, you can have one area for this, one area for that. But it, it makes so much more sense when working with a smaller environment to, to make the most of it and to have something that folds away, something that rolls away. Um, which is good to see that you guys are incorporating into all your designs. Yeah, and we recently did that with a, a mirror table. So, so you're looking at the wall, it's a mirror, uh, and then we have the, 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 the wood frame and then the legs, the, the frame becomes the legs and then you fold it. But that's one way to create, so that, that way that like, like five, feet, five feet long table, when you put it, put it up against the wall, that clears up the whole space inside your house. So you can have, you can have people over, like for for the evening and uh and after that when you're on your own and you're you're eating then you just use the table when you want to use it actually yeah exactly mm -hmm. and then 10 seconds later it's up on the wall out of the way and you've got all of that space back which is brilliant yeah definitely. yeah 
Um, I was also going to ask, you mentioned earlier that one of the models um, that you guys do was 10 and a half feet wide. Um, how do you sort of, do you work with 10 and a half feet trailers or is it still an eight foot trailer, but do you extend it on the sides? How does that work sort of making the house wider? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we, we're working with 10, uh, 10 feet wide trailers and the okay. thickness of our walls um, is around eight inches. Uh, so yeah. that's way thicker than most of the tiny homes. But then there's the whole concept behind the way we build them. But then when it comes to the, the wide load, um, people are like, well, I thought that eight and a half was the standard and the, the maximum you can go on the road. Well, that's right. If you, because uh, if you want to move it yourself and it's 10 feet wide, you're going to need that wide load permit. But then let's say we take uh, a 30, uh, a 30 foot tiny house and we make it eight feet wide. It's yeah, still it too heavy and it's yeah. still too heavy for you to pull it with a regular pickup truck. So why would you bother sticking to eight and a half when if you want to go 10 and a half, then you have that extra two feet inside the house. And if you're not going to move it yourself, the, the, the truck that's going to pull the 10 and a half or the eight and a half is, is not going to see a difference. And the price for the shipping is it, it's, it's quite similar. Let's say we, we ship a house 3000 kilometers away, uh, having a 10 foot wide versus an eight foot wide. It's like 200, 300 bucks extra on a delivery that is like uh, $6,000. So mm -hmm. I think it's really worth it because if you base your choice on the, the number of times you're going to move the house, I mean, it really jumps off. It, it pops up. I need a 10 and a half. And then all of the clients we have, they, they come inside the house and they see the difference. Of course, it's not 14 feet wide, but then that little difference it makes, makes it so uh, it's really more comfortable. Yeah. yeah. That, that's really interesting you say that, actually, because I, I hadn't even thought myself the sort of um, the difference in the permit for having, obviously, if you can drive an eight and a half by yourself, but just for the sake of having a permit for the... Uh, for the uh, extra width, it makes perfect sense. I mean, two or three hundred dollars for for moving it once is a no-brainer when you're looking at sort of having so much more interior space in a bigger house for to live in. It, it just makes perfect sense. So that's interesting that you guys do that rather than limiting yourselves to the eight feet like some other builders do. Yeah, because we realize the space that we're that we were losing, and there's there's technical reasons behind that. Is because uh, you know when you count the eight and a half. Uh, limit on the road that needs to include everything that exceeds the house so the overhang of the wall uh, of the roof and every hood vents that you have exceeding yeah. the house and since we're building for colder climates these hood vents they're like six to seven each, uh, inches on each side of the house so you're losing like a feet inside the house just because you're building for colder climates and then our walls are thicker so ultimately in the end i'm like I've been visiting a tiny house that was supposed to be eight and a half and I felt like it was bigger than ours, but then it was not an eight inches thick wall and they were not having these vents. So all that put into consideration, we decided not to, well, we're not offering it and we're not proposing eight and a half anymore. We're really, really pushing people towards that 10 and a half for actually the reason that I stated previously. And I think yeah. people really understand that. Yeah, definitely. That makes perfect sense. It really does. Um, just got a few more questions left. I mean, I could go on talking to you for, for hours and hours. Um, but my next question is, how have you found that the um, clients of yours, how have they acclimatized Living Tiny? Has it been an easy transition or has it been um, easier for some than others? 
Um, I know some people, they, um, well, some people, it was a sort of a reality check, uh, especially yeah. now they're, they're having a baby. Uh, and then we, we visited some clients in California uh, last uh, fall. And then, uh, well, one thing they said is they went to visit another house in California we have that is 10 and a half. And they say, if we were to do it again, uh, it's been four years that we're living in there now, we would have choose that 10 and a half for sure mm -hmm. because they moved it once. Uh, in four years, and they thought uh, it was going to be a pain with a ten and a half, and it's not. So that's one yeah. thing they kind of regret a little bit. But then the transition uh, was not that bad. They just needed to. Um, it's it's a matter of uh, knowing who you're living into the house with. I would definitely not go with somebody that just just met your your that you're uh, dating for like a year. Let's say, oh, we're moving to a tiny house, and you never went in an apartment with them, then the privacy is not the same. And then it, yeah. so it, that's, that's the one thing, but then um, we were kind of surprised as well when some people, they said, yeah, we went from a, a 12,000, not 12,000, 1200 square feet house to a 800 square feet house. And then we went to an apartment that was even smaller. And then now yeah. we're in a one bedroom apartment. So they kind of practice themselves to jump into the yeah. tiny living so that's one smart way to do that. And then yeah. also, you can also, um, there's some, uh, some specialists, some consultant that they can help you get rid of your stuff. They're like, okay, and they come to your place and then they say, well, you don't need that. So, and, and they leave with your stuff because they ask yourself, they ask you the questions, how often do you use that? Do you need this? And then if ultimately the answer is no, they're leaving with it. So yeah. actually starting to get rid of your stuff uh, it's always some good way to uh, to prepare for tiny tiny living and also reducing your footprint from this and that and this and going tiny is going to facilitate the whole transition as well. But we only have good feedback. We have a client that um, she, she's now able to sponsor uh, two childs and uh, two children in Africa, and then she's wow. bringing uh, her daughter uh, on vacation uh, twice a year, which is something that she could not afford before that. So I think that's one success story that we're really proud of showing to people, like the real impact of going tiny, not only on freedom, but also on your, your, your financial um, uh, situation, actually. Yeah, yeah, and the impact you can have on people, because I mean, um, you sort of hear it on um, from so many people, but it, it is true. It is really, it can be life changing. It can allow you to have the time, the energy, the finances to do things that you'd always want to do, but previously didn't have the chance to. So it is, it is life changing in that respect. Yeah, and our clients were, I mean, they're they, buying a tiny house. Like right now, I think the market is starting to take take its place, and then financing comes in, and and and. So then now there's, uh, we need more communities and more uh, regulations that allow these houses, of course, but then it's getting, it's getting better. Uh, and that's one way that is really interesting. That's one thing that we, uh, we try to help with, but then these clients that were our first clients, they're kind of pioneers. They're jumping in something. And I think that buying a tiny, buying a tiny house two or three years ago, or even four or five years ago, I think it's a statement. Uh, I think the clients are kind of part of the movement as yeah. along with the builders because they take a risk because you never know. It's always uncertain. And when we install that, of course the house looks great. It looks like the mechanical is going to, going to be, everything is going to be fine. But then if you're not living legally, you're putting yourself at risks 
but you're still buying a tiny home for that guy and put yourself at risk. So we, 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 we call them uh, pioneers. And I think we're part yeah. of the, the whole tiny house movement and also uh, for our growth as a company as well. They took risk. Of course we take risk, but they took some as well. Yeah. definitely. And I mean, it, it's especially where I'm from in the UK, it's such a, it seems to still be quite a foreign concept. People, um, it, it's, not many people know about the tiny house movement. Not many people live in tiny houses here. Um, and I know it's sort of further on developed in the U in the U S and Canada. Um, I mean, still now I can imagine it's sort of, um, it's still a statement, but five years ago, thinking people who, when the new, when the movement was so new, um, jumping into it then is, is really, yeah, you are a pioneer of the, of the movement then. Yeah, exactly. And then mm. I think in Europe, you're facing a situation where, uh, I think there's a need for tiny houses because you have limited space. And of course, here in Canada, uh, I think, well, space is not an issue and uh, not an issue at all. So people that want to go tiny, they're not, uh, they don't need to. They're doing it because they think that's one smart way. And you, you don't want to be facing the wall and then say, how can we change our way of living? How can we find solutions? You need to put solutions right now for the future. So you don't face the, the problem that's, that's actually coming towards you. So that's yeah. one smart way to see that because if, you're, if, we, if we don't ask ourselves questions about the way our, ho our whole housing industry works, I mean, the wheel is running, but then there's always a way to say, hey, can we stop for a while? There's this product that's re that responds to a new type of clientele. Uh, it, that's a new housing market. It's not a trend. It responds to a real need. And it's yeah. not everyone that's going to be uh, wanting a tiny house, but there's a growing minority that needs right. to be heard. And for you, you need to be considerate to these people because it's, uh, they represent a lot of, uh, of values. They represent, and, and, it, and it, it's going to be a growing percentage of people that could be interested into this. And, yeah. and, and what I hate the most is to say, well, well, the regulation here, it says that you're not allowed to have less than X amount of square feet well, change the regulation. Well, somebody wrote 600 square feet for some good reasons in the past, but now if we cannot uh, open the books and ask ourselves question, that's mm. the opposite of progress. And I think it's yeah. counterproductive, definitely. I definitely agree with you. And I mean, um, I'm aware that there are sort of so many regulations here, especially in Europe that limit the, the size that a house can be. And I mean, they were written tens if not hundreds of years ago when situations were so different and now everything that's been going on especially even more recently it, it it's so silly not to revisit these regulations and people do need to to have a change and then live the change because it is it is the future like we say and for you guys where space isn't an issue the, the clients and customers that you're that you're getting it's not a necessity for space it's a choice to have more freedom to save some money to do things like that whereas we're sort of facing a situation where we're running out of land, we're running out of places to build conventional houses and looking at sort of apartment blocks and everything. But people that don't want that way of life, we're now sort of having to face the problem head on and, and look at it as a real option here. So it is, it is very true what you say about these regulations that were written, they're not fit for purpose anymore. Yeah. And like I said, there's, there, there must have been a good reason to do that in the past. But then if you cannot open the books and say, well, here's a new reality. Here's something that we didn't take into, into consideration when we put these regulations in place. Let's mm. be smart. Let's just, well, actually, we live in a democracy. 
And sometimes you're like, are we living in a democracy? Because we don't think that if we cannot change anything, well, we're not in charge of anything. We cannot have any impact. And that's kind of frustrating. But I think it takes a, a almost a generation to make these changes because people that are making these regulations, people that are hearing the people, then of course the next generation is going to be in place and they're going to have a better hearing about what people have to say. And we see that. I mean, it's slow, but I think it's, it's, it's growing and I think it's coming towards that direction. I mean, of course, we need to be positive and we need to, uh, to, to really uh, to have hope that it's going to change because if not, then what's the point? So I think um, like having a movement and social media is really helpful. Uh, I think that's one way to help spread your message uh, as a company because we think that as a company, it's not only our duty to do to build houses, custom houses for people, no matter how uh, energy efficient or good they might be looking. We have a message that needs to be delivered, and the harder and the bigger the the fan base and the bigger the the support is, the the easier it's going to be to have a better hearing about the message that we have. Yeah, definitely. And um, like we said earlier, it's sort of your social media as well, and the fact that you take the time to record the videos, to take the pictures, to document behind the scenes the process of um, start to finish is it sort of makes it more real as well for especially potential customers and there i can imagine like i am so interested in how it goes from an idea to a final product and that's why we are sort of in the age obviously of, of sharing everything on social media and it's important to have that online presence like you guys do yeah it's called we call it education and not in a way that we educate the the, the clients to be clients we educate them in a way that we tell them stuff that they didn't know but we think they should know before purchasing such a product because it's pricey i mean you you ask these questions when you buy a car but then when you buy a home you just assume that the guy's going to sell you the best thing or the thing that works but then you don't know anything about that so you kind of put your trust into somebody and you hope yeah. that you're going to be ending up with something that works fine but then uh yeah, education is also one of our uh, of our duty as a tiny house builder, especially in a in a growing industry, in an industry that not a lot of people know. Um, and it should be the same in the real housing industry, but I think we don't have the same proximity as um, some people that are building like apartments. And actually, that's what makes it really fun to be in the tiny house industry as well. Definitely, definitely. Um, so I've got one final question um, for you to sort of wrap everything up and, and to lead on from everything we've spoken about before. Um, you mentioned it briefly previously um, about sort of how people have acclimatized. Um, but what would your advice be for anyone that's looking to build a tiny house, that's looking to have a tiny house built? What would you say to the people that are currently in the process of debating whether or not to leave behind their conventional house and, and move tiny? Um, don't make an impulsive purchase. Um, I mean, don't do it because you think it's cute. Don't do it because you think it's pretty. Oh, I want one. And when you have these big hearts in your eyes and all that, yeah. you're not thinking straight. Pretty much okay. like when you, uh, you're too deeply in love and you, do, you would do anything for that girl. Well, start yeah. to know her. The same way you should start to uh, dig deeper into uh, tiny living. So ask people, uh, reach out to people that have experienced tiny living because I didn't live in a tiny house, but I have people that are giving us feedback. But then we have a client in, a, in California where she's doing consulting. She can help people in the different uh, 
all the different parts that you need to take into consideration before going tiny. So if you're going to, if you're going to go full-time living, you need to have your, yourself the question and you need to prepare, I think, at least a year ahead because land is hard to find. Um, that's yeah. one thing. But also just for the house, you really need to establish a list of must-have and nice-to-have and then try to see where you'll be able to compromise because you will need to do some compromises. And it's not when the house is being built that then you're going to be realizing, well, oh, I really need this. And I didn't realize how much important it was for me. But then if you start uh, the, the whole thinking uh, process like a year prior to do that, then you yeah, can maybe. draw your sketches and you, you can also, uh, actually put your you, – yeah, let's say you have a three-bedroom in your apartment. Then mm. close the door for one. Don't use it for months. And then you're yeah. going to see that, okay, well, I don't need that extra room. So what's next? And then so and so and so. I faced the same situation here in my uh, apartment. I had a, uh, 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 how do you call that when you get filled in water in your basement? Where you get water. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I faced that situation uh, actually two years ago. And then, so I didn't use my basement for like six months. And after that, I'm like, well, I don't need that whole basement space at all. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so I, I can live in, in a really smaller footprint. So when you put yourself into situations where you, you, um, you don't use something or you, uh, you block you for, from using something that you normally use, then you start to do the compromises and you start on cutting. And ultimately, what you're, you're just removing the gravy to coming with the core of what you need and what you want in your life. So that, that small core is what you need to tell us when you're coming for a tiny house project. And that's what we'll make. Amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for all of the sort of advice you've given. Um, throughout, we'll put pictures um, of the tiny houses that we've been talking about. Um, all of the links to your social media, your website and everything will all be in the description below. Uh, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on the Tiny House Ideas podcast, for sharing your thoughts sharing your um, your business your sort of background um, and everything like that it's been a pleasure speaking to you and um, thank you very much as always i hope you enjoyed this episode of the tiny house ideas podcast if you've got any questions any suggestions any questions for future episodes any ideas then please do get in touch instagram's easiest way to reach me at tiny house ideas if you'd like to support the podcast as i've mentioned it's available on patreon to support and we've got a private discord group there where we can have the discussion we can really break down the podcast talk about each episode talk about upcoming episodes and also watch all of the new releases early.